Hello, and welcome to the World Fellows podcast. My name is Emma Skye, and I'm director of the World Fellows programme at Yale. My guest today is Alex Munoz, who is the National Geographic's pristine seas director for Latin America. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Emma. What a pleasure to be here with you. So, Alex, you're a lawyer by training. When you were growing up in Chile, what did you want to be? What led you to study law? Well, um, I grew up in Chile in the late 70s, 70s and 80s, and Chile was under a very severe dictatorship. Um, so for me, um, human rights violation was part of the context uh, where I grew up in. And um, immediately I had this sense of injustice that was surrounding me all over. And um, uh, I wanted to change the world as many um, um, teenagers that are um, growing up and we're really idealists. And I wanted to change the world and help people that were suffering. And um, I thought that the best way to do that it was uh, by going to law school and learning how the society worked and how the system, the legal system worked, and defend people. For me, that was very clear from the, from the beginning. So you were the first Chilean to win a case before the Inter-American Court of Human Rights, which resulted in the court's first ruling on freedom of expression in the Americas. So for you, what's the importance of freedom of expression for a democracy? Uh, democracy is key, and maybe today more than ever. Um, we are seeing all around the world threats to democracy. Um, um, I think we have lost... Um, the capacity to uh, respect other people's opinions. And we have to realize that uh, when a society is uh, um, capable of talking to each other, we advance our values, we advance our rights, we, we make progress in, in our uh, common projects together. And that's why freedom of, express of expression is so important. We have to allow different opinions, different currents of opinion um, to be expressed, even with, if we disagree with them. And now we see very often that when people disagree with you, they try to destroy your opinion. And we cannot allow that to happen. First, we saw that um, coming from states. Censorship was a common practice in many of our countries. Now we are seeing a growing intolerance uh, from different groups. Sometimes they are armed. Sometimes they have ways to protest that are not peaceful. And I'm afraid that that will undermine, undermine our capacity as a society to come up with a common project. Uh, we are talking too much about us and them, and we have to realize that we're just us, uh, even if we don't agree. So freedom of expression is a pillar of um, our society, and we have to defend them, to defend it uh, more than ever now. So you moved from being a lawyer to becoming an environmental activist. What led you to make this change? Um... First, it was a practical reason. I, I started being a human rights lawyer, and I, I participated uh, on many causes, like freedom of expression and bring this case to the Inter-American Court of Human Rights. I also defended women that suffered domestic violence, and I was very active and a very active uh, attorney for these women, and I became a feminist from very young. And um, 
I understood that uh, the women's world was underrepresented in, in our society, in politics, in all of the public spaces um, in my country. So I, I felt very honored to share that with, uh, with these women that taught me so much. And then I found this job. I was offered a job in an ocean conservation organization called Oceana that is based in Washington, but they had opened an office in, in Chile. And I noticed that there were some common elements between uh, defending human rights and protecting the environment. First, I always thought that um, local communities should be part of the discussion, part of the equation. Um, I believe in state action, but I also believe that anybody um, in a local community that is affected by a decision uh, has something to say and it should be consulted. So I always uh, work not only from a top-down approach, like with presidents and ministers, but also from a bottom-up approach, like uh, empowering local communities, asking them, asking them what they want to do, and receiving them input so we can make sure that um, uh, that uh, opinion, that uh, vision is also included in the decision-making process. So um, that was part of the reasons why I moved to the environment. Also, I think that there's some unfairness, inequality in the way how environmental problems affect people. Not everybody is affected equally by pollution, for example. Usually when you see coal-fired power plants or any polluting um, facility, they're always located in poor neighborhoods. They're always located as a uh, neighbor of people that don't have the same political context, the same networks, the same economic capacity. And um, and that, that struck me and I've always been besides the ones that are more vulnerable, the ones that are more disadvantaged because they are suffering environmental problems in, a, in the worst way possible. And uh, that's also a human right. The right to be treated uh, equal is a human right. And I see that most of the burden from these companies are is heavier in uh, local communities that are more disadvantaged. That's why I felt very comfortable by advancing environmental protection because I I knew that I was also protecting these disadvantaged disadvantaged communities. And can you share with us some of the work that you've been doing for the National Geographic Society in Latin America? Well. I'm living a, a, a dream here. I, I work for the National Geographic Society um, in this project called Pristine Seas. I'm the director for Latin America for this project. Uh, and we, what we do is exploring, studying, and finally protecting the last wild places in the world's oceans. We do these amazing expeditions on, on boats to explore places that are sometimes totally untouched, places that nobody has visited before. And we bring our scientists and documentalists um, take a, like a very comprehensive picture of these places. We do scientific reports, and my job is to catalyze change. I have to work with governments and local communities with the support of this um, uh, uh, science and try to protect these places by creating marine reserves. So we're trying to save the oceans, and this is so important because the oceans will provide the food for the world that will have 9 billion people in, in a few decades. 
those people will need protein to survive, and I believe that fish will be that source of protein. So we need to have a healthy ocean, healthy fisheries that can provide that food to them. Also, um, the oceans are a victim of climate change, but are also part of the solution because there's a lot of evidence that shows that the ocean is um, absorbing at least 50% of the CO2 that is uh, out in the atmosphere. And also, uh, we've proven with our studies that when the oceans are effectively protected, they're more resilient to the impacts of climate change. They will adapt better if um, it will adapt better to the impacts of um, uh, global warming. Uh, the oceans cannot stop global warming, but they will adapt better if they are protected. So what we're doing is um, protecting biodiversity. We are also protecting jobs and the economy because the ocean can provide all those goods. And we are uh, getting better prepared for climate change. So that's why we think we have to keep doing our job and even doubling our efforts in the next decade. So here at Yale, you led the strike on climate change the climate strike. What was the purpose of this strike? What did you hope to achieve from it? Uh, well, first, I, I believe that um, activism plays an important role in reshaping the political agenda. Uh, sometimes governments and Congress, which are which hold the formal power, don't have the strength or the incentive to move the agenda towards uh, the most urgent needs. So people have some role to play in terms of changing that agenda and holding our authorities accountable. Um, these strikes serve that purpose. But I do believe that activism all along cannot be the whole solution. We need experts, we need scientists, and we need the, uh, the centers of most advanced thinking to be part of the solution. And I thought, well, Yale can play both roles. We can be experts, and we also can be part of the activism um, part of the uh, solution. And um, since climate climate change has been it's a global it's a global problem, nobody can be absent from this. We have to be all proactive and do whatever we we can or whatever is is in our hands to uh, help with solving this very severe problem. And I. I was three weeks um, in my in the fellowship. Uh, I was um, recently arrived to, to, to Yale, and I was getting to know my uh, other fellows. And um, I had this idea to uh, organize this crime strike, and the, all the fellows were super enthusiastic and uh, immediately started help, uh, helping and participating in this um, uh, in the organization of the crime strike. We could gather 200 people. Uh, uh, in campus, um, in front of the library, and it was a magnificent moment. Very, um, we felt very inspired, and I think we spoke up for Yale uh, and um, and making make sure that the Yale was not passive but actually active in the solution of climate change. So that was a moment that I will treasure. Uh, for the rest of my life because uh, it was really meaningful. My first strike, by the way, outside Chile. So <laughs> it was, uh, for me, it was very meaningful. And since you've been at Yale, you've not just been thinking about environment and climate. Your thoughts have also been back in Chile where there's been a series of protests. Why are people protesting in Chile? 
yes, th- there's a paradox here. Chile was, till very recently, the most uh, politically stable country in Latin America and probably the most economically successful. So many people had the sense that we were doing fine, that we were doing very well. And to some extent, that was true. However, um, since the 1980s, we focused very much on economic growth, and we were a a success from that point of view. But there were were also a lot of inequalities. Um, There's a big gap between the most disadvantaged and the wealthy people. We have some super billionaires in Chile uh, that are not sharing their wealth. They don't pay enough taxes. And I think um, the people that are uh, hard workers, they they saw that there were some people that were not, not playing by the rules. They were not making enough effort while they were working for 10 hours, maybe spending three hours in a bus, getting up at five in the morning just to have access to health. So there were a lot of things that uh, felt wrong. Also, in the last months, we saw some unfortunate statements from uh, ministers and the president that I think make everybody very angry. There were insensitive statements uh, against poor people. So that became the spark. for these rights. And then there has been a lack of political leadership. I think that the Chilean government, unfortunately, hasn't been able to um, understand what is happening, be more sensitive, and come up with a political solution. I think that politics is so important. We have to recover the value of politics. I don't like when people think that all the politicians are bad, that they are not necessary. I think that politics have an important role to understand the needs and the crises and uh, suggest a, a way forward. When we are left out of politics, we just have technocracy, which is very cold, and people feel insulted and not taken into account. We need better politics. We need p- better leaders. People have that can understand that people are not just um, um, being negative or just being violent. No, they have some grounds. Uh, for complaining, and they need solutions. And although not necessarily popular solutions, sometimes solutions can be unpopular, but we need better politicians that can understand that and lead a country. Uh, I love that uh, Yale is having this uh, World Fellows Program because we're learning how to create better societies, like uh, good societies, and we need more of that, and uh, not just rely on numbers and Sometimes we we need this human touch, this human understanding of the other. And uh, I think that the uh, Chilean president has unfortunately not been able to do that. So am I hearing, when I listen to this, am I hearing that you're going to go into politics? What's, what's next for Alex? Well, I love politics. Uh, I love my job, but also my job has been my own way to do politics. I s- um, narrowed uh, to the environment and human rights, but that's my way to play a political role. The problem, as it happens in many countries, is that political parties have been degraded. They haven't been able to attract the best people, so it's not easy. It's an ugly world. Politi- politics have become a very aggressive, unfair, and ugly world, and it's easy to think that maybe by going to politics, you may be wasting your time. 
But now I've been in five months here at Yale, and um, I've been thinking that uh, maybe it's time to give it a try. And uh, yeah, we'll see how it happens. A lot of things are happening in Chile. We're going to draft a new constitution. We'll elect new, a new Congress, new president. So maybe it's, it's time. I cannot deny I've been thinking it, and I like it. And I, yes, I'm, I'm ready to, to give it a try. But I also I want to go home and see with my own eyes what has been happening because a lot has been happening in Chile. So I want to talk to a lot of people and see um, how it looks now. Uh, but I confess that politics is a passion and I like it and I would like to make my contribution. I feel ready for it. Well, you've just announced your candidacy here on the podcast. <laughs> so, Alex, best of luck for the future. Well, thank you, Emma. Thank you for this amazing month, uh, for giving me the, the opportunity to share with amazing people, uh, my friends and fellows that are, I'll, I love them and I'll miss them so much. <laughs>